This morning we'll be reading out of Esther, chapter 8, verses 7 through 11. Our ushers will be coming down the aisle right now with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, feel free to raise your hand and you can take one of those. Um, and if you don't own a Bible, we, um, we urge you to take that home with you and we give it to you as a gift um, so that you can have a Bible for your household. And in those will be on page 386. Follow along with me. Then King Asherah said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And the edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews. To the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the king of King Asherus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers, riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force to any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. Pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather here in your name, Lord. I pray that as we continue this morning that you remind us of who you are and your goodness. And I pray over Mike as he brings your word to us and that you may just prepare our hearts and allow us to receive it. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, it's so good to be here with you this morning. My name is Mike Lee, and I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley. If we've never met before, uh, I'd love to do that this morning. So there's a couple ways that we can do that. I'm going to be standing out in the courtyard. I'd love to just meet you out there. Uh, another way we can do that, send me a text, 602-763-3331. People ask me every week, is that really your number? Are you really okay with people texting you, calling you? Yes, that's really my number. Yes, I would really love for you to call me, text me. Uh, if you'd like to connect, we can do it like that. And then the third way, uh, we'll talk about it at the end. McKenna will point out the Connect card. Uh, and if you'll just fill out some basic information, turn it in at our info table. We have a great gift for you. It's this cool little coffee mug. Um, and then uh, I'd be happy to reach out to you that way. So um, in February of 2020, February of 2020, which seems like 100 years ago, because it was before COVID happened. It was like COVID wasn't a thing yet, at least here. But in February of 2020, uh, Penny and I uh, went on a vision trip to Pittsburgh with our friends Brian and Brooke Bowman, and we went there to get some ideas and some coaching from a church planner named Rob Wilton. Rob was doing some things that we thought would be really cool, and so we went there to go look at that and think about that, and it was a good trip, and we learned a lot. But my favorite part of the trip happened on Sunday morning. And you might say, well, of course, you're a pastor. Like, of course, they probably let you preach. No, it wasn't my sermon. It was this other guy, Rob, and he got up and preached what must have been a pretty forgettable sermon because I don't remember a word that he said that day. I, I don't. I went back to see if I took notes and I, I can't even find I don't know what Rob said that day. But what stood out to me, what really stood out to me is that we started to sing this song that I had never heard before. And it's the song that we just sang. It's a, the song called Waymaker. I'd never heard the song before and we started to sing it. And so what I did is I did what I've asked you to do. What Kobe asks us to do sometimes is when you don't know the song or when you 
haven't believed this song yet, just try out the words. And so I was sitting there in this, I was standing there uh, at this church in Pittsburgh, and I decided to just take on these words. I didn't know the song, but I wanted to sing the song, and so I tried out the lyrics, and I sang, you are Waymaker, Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. I tried those lyrics out and I believed them. I believed everything about those lyrics. I'm saying these, so, this, these lyrics over and over again and I believed it because I have tasted and I have seen God be all of these things. I've tasted and I've seen God be way maker. I've seen God be promise keeper. I've seen God be light in the darkness. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen all of these things. God just keeps doing all these things. And I was singing this song and I'm believing it. And then we get to the part of the song that just grabbed my heart that day. This, this part of the song that just, just tugged at my heart that day. And it was, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Jesus, you never stop working. And I'm just singing that song over and over again. It was one of those mornings where the worship leader just really got on a roll and Rob just kind of let it happen. He just kept singing that chorus over and over and over again. It went on for minutes, probably a good five minutes. And as I was singing those words, even when I don't see it, you're working, I was standing there next to my wife, Penny, who's my biggest blessing from God. And I'm thinking about all the ways that I've seen God work. I'm just sitting there just reflecting through, thinking about all the ways that I've seen God work. I'm standing there next to Penny and next to my friend, Brian and Brooke. I'm thinking about how the fact that, that God used Brian and Brooke to help Penny and I heal and, and, and teach us how to plant a church. I'm just standing next to these people, and I'm like, wow, God is working through these people right here, right next to me. I, I, I'm thinking about the fact that we were meeting in a church. This church that we were at in Pittsburgh was a a church that used to be a Presbyterian church, and the church had gone bankrupt, and this church had taken it over. And I started thinking about the fact that long before I ever believed in Jesus, long before I ever even knew the gospel, I went to, when I would be in Ohio in the summer, I would occasionally go to this Presbyterian church where I would hear about God when I didn't understand anything about it. And so I'm just reflecting on this, like God is doing all these things, and I'm sitting there and just reflecting on all the ways that God had worked in my life. I'm sitting there singing that song over and over again, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working, and I'm reflecting on how God had taken this kid who grew up in a divorced home, a kid who grew up in an abusive home, a kid who grew up believing with all of his heart that there was a God, but also believing just as adamantly that I had no access to him, and I'm reflecting on how God had used basic, everyday things in my life to just make himself known. I thought about the VBS that I went to as a little kid at neighborhood. VBS that just happened on the street in the summer and how seeds were planted there. I thought about how God had put Christian men in my life like Burton Tingle to show me that there was a different way to be a man than what I had seen. I was reflecting. I'm just standing there just reflecting about how God had used Brian Brubaker to share the gospel with me. I'm singing this song over and over again at this little church in Pittsburgh and I'm thinking about how God had used Ken Pisano and Tim Harrington and Larry Hostetler and Dave Murray and Dan Yuri and so many others to help disciple me. I'm just sitting there singing this song over and over again thinking about how God had brought strong Christian men into my life to become great friends and I thought about how God had blessed me with three amazing kids James Michaela and Courtney and how he had saved all of them and it was almost overwhelming that day to just sit there and sing and pray and reflect about the ways that God had worked in my life I felt very unworthy of it as I'm just sitting there praying over and over again, even when I don't see it, you're working. I don't know that I've ever believed the lyrics more than I believed the lyrics of that song that morning. 
Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working because you are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. I'm just singing it over and over and over again and feeling it in, in, in all the feels. And as we conclude our series in Esther today, I want us to leave this place and this series remembering that even when we don't see it, God's working. Church, I want you to believe this in your heart. If I could put it in your heart, if I could press it in there, if I could find a way to just shove this down deep in your heart so that you would remember it, so that when things are not going well, which they won't always go well, so that when you are questioning it, that you'll remember this, I wish I could. I have to honestly tell you that I didn't want to preach this book. I didn't want to preach through Esther. The staff knows this story. I didn't want to preach through it. We had put it on the calendar at the beginning of the year, and it was something that we were going to do, and then we got to it. We got a couple of weeks out, and I just walked into staff meeting, and I said, I don't, I don't want to preach this book. I don't want to preach it. And then I went home, and I told my wife, I don't want to preach Esther. I don't want to preach it. And so this is what happened. This is really what happened. You can thank a couple of people for this. First, Penny said to me, we don't not do stuff just because it's hard, right? So I said, I, that, like, we don't do that in my house. Like, she got a doctorate. Like, we do hard stuff in my house. And so she reminded me that, like, kind of like loud. But anyways, um, I, was like, I was like, honey, I don't know if I could preach this book. It's really, really hard. And she goes, well, we do hard things. So that's, that's going to be a bad excuse. And I was like, yeah, I know. But like, I don't really feel led to. And she said, well, you should pray harder. You know, like, okay, like you've been around the game for a minute. You know what's up. Uh, and then I'm in staff meeting. And I said, I really don't want to do this. And Janine says, oh, that's really weird because I really feel like you're supposed to because I've been in church a long, long time and I've never heard anybody preach through Esther. And so this is, I'm really excited. I bought some books to get ready for it. I think you should pray more about it. And so I did. I, I listened to these two women, strong women in my life. Then I, so I went ahead and I prayed and I read through this book over and over and over again. And finally, one day I, I, I saw it. I understood it. I understood what this book was about and it got me excited to preach it. And what this book is about is that even when you don't see it, God is working. All throughout this book, the, 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 the absence of the mention of God is like is what turns people off from this book. There's a lot of people that don't want to preach this book because it doesn't explicitly talk about God. But all throughout this book, we see God working, and we see that today. If you've not been here for the whole series, let me just catch you up on the important stuff that's happened. Esther has been made queen. The king has issued a decree that on a particular day, every Jew, every man, woman, and child in the kingdom will be killed. Every single Jew in the entire kingdom is going to be killed. And that decree is part of a plan by the evil Haman because Haman hates one particular Jew named Mordecai who happens to be Esther's uncle. It's crazy that Esther has been made queen because she literally was chosen out of all of the other women in the kingdom. This is crazy how God has orchestrated this. And because she's queen, she now has access to the king to go to him and talk to him and ask him to undo this decree. She literally risks her life to even go to him, but she goes and she exposes Haman's plot and the king puts Haman to death, which is where we pick up in the story today, but I need us to see that this story is not about what Esther is doing. And this story is not about what Mordecai is doing. And this story is not about what Haman is trying to do. This story is about what God is doing because God is always at work in the lives of the people. Church, even when we don't see it, God is working. God has been working all through this story to save his people from the death that Haman has planned for them. God has made a way for Esther to be queen in the unlikeliest of circumstances. God has made a way for Mordecai to talk to Esther. God has made a way for Esther to talk to the king. God is working. 
That's what this story is about. And so today as we finish up this text, as we do the last sermon in this series, there's really three truths about how God is working in this story and still today that I want us to know. The first is this, God works through everyday details. Church, I want you to know that we serve a God, we worship a God who is in the details. He works through everyday details. I think sometimes we think that God is not in the details, like God has so many important big things to do that we're to, than to worry about these small little details of our lives. But in this story, we see God work through these small details, and it's kind of amazing. So let's just look at this. Uh, we're going to look at Esther 3, 10 through 12. We've got a lot of text today, and it's all really good. So here it says, so the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and the governors over all the provinces and the officials of all the people to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring. This is what happens. The king gives Haman a ring. Haman summons the king's secretaries. Letters are written and sealed with a ring and then sent out. That's what happens. All of this is going to happen. I want you to notice these details here. Haman gets called in. Hey, whatever you want to do, the Jews now belong to you. He writes a letter. He seals it with the signet ring. All the satraps come in. It all gets sent out. And then look what God does. Look what God does over in chapter 8, verses 2 through 10. Chapter 8, verses 2 through 10 says this, And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman. So the king has taken his ring back, the same ring that he gave to Haman, now he's taken back. And he gives the signet ring to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Now Mordecai is in charge, and this is what it says. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agate and the plot that had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, if it please the king and if I have found favor in his sight and if things seem right before the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agate, the son of Hamadetha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people, or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Asherah said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for an edict written in the name of the king, and sealed with the king's signet ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivian, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews to the satraps and the governors and the officials and the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of the king and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then the letters were sent out, mounted by carriers, swift horses that were used in the king's service bread for the royal stud. I want you to look at the details of what's happening. The, the ring was Haman's, and the king takes it back and gives it to Mordecai. Haman had written a letter saying that all the Jews were going to be killed on a particular day. Now Mordecai gets to write a letter and say, no, they're not. We've undone that work. The, the, the scribes were brought in to write all these letters out that were telling about destroying the Jews, and now those same scribes have been called back in and said, no, no, write a new letter that says we're not doing any of that, and seal it with the king's signet ring, and send it out, and the decree will happen. I want you to see that God is working through all of these details. 
The same ring is being used to seal the letters that are going out. Letters that were originally going out that told of the destruction of the Jews are now going out to talk about how the Jews will be victorious on this day. All of this detail happening, all of these small things happening, and this should not surprise us because God works through everyday details. He just works through all these everyday details. But of course, God does more than that. God also works through huge events. God works through huge events, unbelievable events, big things that we have a hard time comprehending. God works through these big events. Let's make sure that we understand the gravity of the situation the Jews are in at the time these letters are written. Chapter 3, 13 says, Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Every single man, woman, and child in one day were going to be killed. I want us to understand the gravity of this situation, that on one particular day, every single person of Jewish descent was going to get killed on that day. And that's what was going to happen. And the Jews find out about this as these letters reach out to these regions that they live in. And this is their reality. This is what they are dealing with. It's not like, hey, this is something that could happen. This is, hey, in the very not-too-distant future, all of us are going to die. I want you to imagine for a second, if you can, the gravity of this situation. If you are a parent looking into the eyes of your child, knowing that on a particular day they are going to die and you are going to die, and there's nothing that can be done to stop it. I want us to understand there's a decree that has gone out from the king that says this is what is going to happen. Not this may happen, not this could happen, this is going to happen. I mean, you and I walk around every day with the uncertainty of life, but this is much different than that. This is the certainty of death. This is what's going to happen. I want you to imagine this is the gravity of this, and they are weeping over this, and they're gnashing their teeth, and they're walking around in sackcloth and ash because they are desperate they're desperate. This is the kind of thing that's happening in your life that's so big that you're desperate and they're praying. They're praying through tear-stained cheeks saying, please, God. If you've ever been in a situation like that where it is so desperate that the only thing that you can utter out is, please, God. Sometimes it is all you can do just to get the words out. Sometimes it comes out in almost a whisper, whisper please, God, like a pleading prayer. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you know the power in a prayer that sounds like, please, God, the kind of begging prayer, the kind of prayer where you would do anything for an answer from God, and yet it feels silent. These people live in this reality. They are just weeping and pleading and praying, and they live in this reality for a while. They don't know that Esther's there sharing with the king. They don't know all the stuff that's going on. They don't know anything that's going on. They don't know anything except that on a day in the not-too-distant future, all of them, every single one of them, is going to die. And what they need, what they desperately need, what they are praying for is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. They are begging God to show up in this huge event. God, you're going to have to do something here because we are powerless to do anything. We need a way maker to make a new way. There's a way before us and God, we need a better way than that because this way leads to all of us dying. Where is your way, oh God? They need a miracle worker for God 
to just somehow change this situation. This is a big deal. This is an official decree from the king. They need a miracle over this. They need a promise keeper to show up and keep the promise that God has a plan for his people and that he has a future for his people and that this ain't it. They need a light in the darkness. They need this. They need God to do what only God can do and thank God that God works in these huge events because God does exactly what only God can do. God makes a way for Esther to become queen. God makes a way for Esther to go to the king and say, hey, we got to change this. And he makes a way for a new decree, Esther 8, 10 through 12, and he wrote in the name of King Asherah and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods on one day through all the provinces of King Asherah on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. God makes a way to save the Jews and deliver their enemies to them. God completely flips the script. He says, no, you know what? On that one day, all the Jews aren't going to die. As a matter of fact, on that one day, all the Jews are going to defend themselves from any of their enemies. And should an enemy rise up against any Jew on that day, the Jew has absolute authority to kill them and take all their stuff. God completely flips the script. God makes a brand new way. God performs a miracle. God changes this entire situation. God lights up the darkness by exposing this evil plan and bringing it to end and ruin. And not only does God make this plan, but he allows it to be carried out. He actually does it. We read about it in verse 13 and 17. A copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. It goes out to everybody. God works through this huge event to save his people, and this really should not surprise us because God works through the huge events of our lives. That's what God does. And as amazing as this was, that God has worked through these details and also through this huge event, as amazing as this was, that this actually happened. Like this actually happened. This is historical. This is something that happened. As amazing as it is, there must have been a concern that this would one day be forgotten. That as big of a miracle as this was, there must have been an idea that over the years the people would forget what God had done. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but sometimes you and I have a tendency to forget the amazing things that God has done unless it is brought to our attention. And there must have been a desire not to forget this because there is danger in forgetting what God has done because it is, serves as a, as, as, as a necessary reminder for us. This is what I want you to know, church. God's works of the past serve as reminders of his works in the present. God's works of the past serve as a reminder of his works in the present. And so there is an entire day set aside, really two days set aside called Purim, which are serving as a reminder of what God has done. We read about it in Esther chapter 9, verse 20 through 32. This is what it says. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were all in the province of King Asherah, both near and far. 
obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies. And as that month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. Do you, do you see what God does? God turns mourning into, into joy, and he turns sadness into a holiday. That's what God does, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. God took a day in which every single Jew was supposed to die, and he said, hey, you know what we're going to do from now on? We're going to have a big party on that day. We're going to have a big party of remembrance of how big God is. That's what we're going to do instead. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is to cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that had been devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term pur. Therefore because of all that was written in this letter and what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offsprings and all who joined them with that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written at the time appointed every, every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city. And these days of Purim should never fall into the disuse among Jews, nor should they the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. This is what happened. Purim was established, and it's still celebrated today so that God's people will remember so that God's people will remember what God did, the way God made to save these people from Haman's wicked plan, to remember the miracle that God performed that turned a day of death into a day of victory and celebration, to remember the promise that God would bring salvation through his people, not destruction to his people, to remember the light that God had brought into the dark despair of his people. Haman planned to kill God's people, but God already had a plan for his people. Church, I want us to remember and I want us to understand that our God does not react to Haman's wicked plan. God is simply not allowing his own plan to be altered by Haman. It's not like God was sitting around surprised that Haman showed up with this plan to kill all of his people. It's just that God already had a plan to bring salvation to his people, and he doesn't allow Haman's plan to get in the way of that. That is our God. That is the miracle worker that we worship. And from that day till now, God's been working in the lives of his people, and it's good to remember that because God's works of the past remind us of his work in the present. But really, we always have the same question when we read this kind of stuff. What about us? What can we learn from this text? See, most of us are not of Jewish descent, and we probably don't, probably don't and probably won't observe Purim this year. So what can we know? What can we get from this text? Well, here's the first thing that I want you to know, church. Even when you can't see it, God is working in the details of your life church, even when you can't see it, God is working in the every single day details of your life. Those details that seem so mundane, so basic, so inconsequential, God is involved in them. This is what the psalmists say in Psalm 139, 1 through 4. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God is aware of all the things in your life. He understands every detail. He understands your needs and your wants and your desires. He sees and understands your relationships. He knows your struggles and your situations better than you understand them yourself. The Bible says that God works through all things for the good of those who love him. All things, all the little things, all the details of your life. And I hope that we find comfort in this. I hope that we find tremendous comfort in this. I hope we can pray to Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness about the details of our lives. To pray the way that little kids pray. I hope that we can pray like little kids pray. Every week in kids' ministry, they do prayer requests. They sit in a circle and they do prayer requests. Over there in that building, they do prayer requests and they, and they ask each other, hey, what can we pray for you for? And then once a week, I get a copy of these. We, we sometimes see them in staff meeting. General send them to us or somebody will send them to us. And it's amazing to see these requests. They pray for things like the first day of school and more screen time and, and for dessert after church. And parents get them dessert after church. I mean, they're praying for it. It's fantastic. I think it, I'm for it. If you wonder if the pastor of this church is for dessert on Sundays. I'm for dessert on sun- Sundays on Sundays. I'm saying it's a thing. Uh, they, yes, thank you. Amen. They, these are little kids and they're praying for this stuff. Uh, just, just, just a couple of weeks ago, a little girl over there prayed for a unicorn. And I, and I, I don't know if she's going to get that, but I do know somebody in kids ministry found unicorn macaroni and cheese and they're going to give them to that little girl because that's just, man, that's cool. I like that. I want us to pray like this. I want us to pray like little kids because little kids believe that no prayer is too big or too small for God. Little kids never have it crossed their mind that God's too busy to care about getting a hit in baseball or helping them deal with their flu shot. They don't ever think about that God's too busy for me. They believe God will work in the smallest details, and so must we. Church, God is at work in the details of your life, and I want you to know that and take comfort in it, but I also want you to know that even when you can't see it, God is working in the huge events of your life. Church, you're going to go through huge events, huge highs, and huge lows, and God is at work in both places. The Psalms remind us of that. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't get much bigger than walking through the shadow of death, and God is working in that too. God is working in the big, huge event. Here is the reality of living in a broken world. The rug is going to get pulled out from underneath you sometimes. When you're not expecting it, this world is going to punch you right in the mouth. And I want you to know that God sees that and he's working in that. You or a loved one is going to get sick, like really sick, and you're not going to know what to do. You or a loved one is going to experience a financial crisis and you're not going to know what to do with it. You or a loved one is going to encounter betrayal and you're not going to know what to do with it. You or 
or a loved one are going to commit an offense for which it doesn't seem like there is enough forgiveness to go around and you're not going to know what to do with it. And in those moments, church, I want you to know that your God is working. And you can know that the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper who brings light in the darkness, is working in those huge moments. Even when you can't see it, he's working. Even when you can't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And if you ever find yourself doubting, if you ever find yourself just doubting, like, is God here? Is he seeing this? Does he see what I'm going through? Is he, is he at all aware of what's happening in this detail in my life or in this huge event in my life? I want us to remember that, church, that God works God's works in the past in your life serve as a reminder that God is at work in the present. John three sixteen through 17 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you know the waymaker has made a way for you to come home. If you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you know the miracle worker has performed a miracle by rescuing you from death and giving you credit for Jesus' life. If you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you know that the promise keeper has kept his promise that nothing will ever separate you from his love. You know, if you have believed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that God has rescued you from the dark and brought you to the light. And if God has done that in your life, why would you doubt that he is at work now? Church, if you are a Christian, you are a walking miracle. You were literally dead and you have been made alive. You were on your way to hell and Jesus plucked you up, turned you around, and is bringing a way for you to come back home with him forever. You can know that the God who saved you through Jesus will not abandon you now, no matter how huge the situations of your life are. If you're a Christian, you are a miracle. God has done, and he's not going to leave you now. And of course, I know that not everyone here today is a Christian. If we've done what we're supposed to do and invited our friends to church, it's altogether possible that there are people in this room today that aren't Christians yet. It's altogether possible that there are people listening to this sermon right now that are watching it on YouTube that are not yet Christians and here's what I want you to know. I want to just talk to you for a minute. I want you to know that God is working right now in your life. He is working through someone who invited you here or a desire that you had to just show up this morning. He sees you and he knows you and he cares about you. Even if you don't fully understand him yet, he knows you. The God who hung every single star in the sky knows every single hair on your head. He knows you and he loves you. He's made a way for you to come close to him. Maybe you're here today and the, the reason that you're here is just to hear the good news. So let me share that with you right now. If you've never heard this before, if you've never heard this, we call this the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And here's what it is. God made the world and it was perfect. And everything worked exactly like it was supposed to. God made the world and it was perfect and it was beautiful just the way he made it. But then man sinned and broke it. And even if you've never heard the word before, you know what sin is. Sin is when we do things that are contrary to what God would have us do. And the Bible tells us that all are sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all of us are sinners. And the worst part of sin is that it separates us from a perfect God. God can't be around sin. 
And so we were separated from him. But God loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us in that separated state. So he sent Jesus down here on a rescue mission. And while Jesus was here, he lived the perfect life that you and I never could. He died the horrific death that you and I deserved, and he defeated that death so that anyone who would believe in him could spend eternity with him. That is the gospel. And the Bible says that if you can believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, that you can be saved. God can do a miracle in your life right now. He can save you right now. So can you believe? Can you believe? Let's pray. God, you are miracle worker, promise keeper, way maker, light in the darkness. You've made a way for your people to come home and we thank you. We didn't deserve it and we could never earn it. You've simply decided to love us and we thank you. God, if there's anybody in this room today or listening to this sermon who has never believed in you, who doesn't know what it is to follow you, God, I ask that you would give them the faith to believe. God, we unashamedly ask you to save them. And for anybody in this room today whom you have saved, whatever they're facing, whether it be something small or something huge, we ask that you remind them of the work that you've already done in their lives and how you will never leave us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.